Bookstores are important because they sell the cultural objects that feed and shape our souls. Books and the stories they contain make us more human. They improve our ability to empathize, and empathy is the glue that holds societies together, says Mark Cote, the publisher of Cormorant Books. Ask yourself this, when was the last time you bought a book in a bookstore in Canada written by a Canadian? Not from Amazon, but in a bookstore with a person to talk to who knows about books. The number of bookstore closures suggests not many of us have purchased a book in a bookstore in Canada, let alone a book written by a Canadian. The Moore Canada Report proves it. Canadian book sales lost 50% of their market share from 1995 to 2015. Cote says with shrinking market presence comes shrinking book sales and revenues. Money that makes possible the discovery and nurturing of literary talents known throughout our country and abroad. If you are reading or listening to this and feeling badly that you didn't go into your local bookstore before it closed its doors, you're not alone. Did you know your local library also orders online from the United States even when buying Canadian books? Cote says, Answering the disappearing Canadian bookstore conundrum won't be easy. It's going to take more than just consumers. Governments also have to get involved and provide a menu of incentives like tax breaks and subsidies. I invited Mark Cote of Cormorant Books to join me for a conversation that matters about the important role bookstores play in neighborhoods and in our lives. Mark, welcome. Thank you for joining me. This is a big, big and important issue, isn't it? Because it really does shape how we see ourselves. It really does. Um, more probably than any other cultural um, product, dare I use that word, uh, books have a profound effect on the people who read them, more than film, more than radio, more than television. How? How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, yeah, it, like comes, it comes from this. When you watch a movie or a television show, um, the directors, the producers are actually telling you exactly what they want you to see. So you see their vision exactly as it is. Um, when you read a book, no matter how good the author is in describing things, you use your own experience and your own memory to fill in the gaps in the book. So when you read, for example, um, The Handmaid's Tale, we'll take a simple one that's well known, um, your Offred will be different than my Offred, even though we're reading the same book by the same author with the same characters. There will be enough differences that we make it our own. And that gives us a way into the book. It gives us a way to really become engaged and involved with the author and it allows the author's voice to really enter our imaginations. Yeah, it really is that theater of the mind, isn't it? Uh, you read a word and you interpret it a certain way, and it has context to you that is relevant to your life, and there's something about seeing it on the page that you're not getting somebody else's interpretation. That's right. And what you read generally tends to stick with you better than what you see. 
so true. I tell you, I can still recite passages from books that I read back in the 1970s <laughs> because I'd read them and I'd reread them because I wanted to understand, then I would talk about it. There's something about that experience of a book. What happened though? Uh, sorry, <laughs> you wanted to expand on that thought and then let's come back well, to what was, happened. You, you, you actually expanded on the thought of, and once you've, the, 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 the reader has read the book, then of course there's the joy of being able to talk about it. This is why book clubs are so successful. And you know, when I was a kid, it's why my parents read books and talked to their friends and their neighbors and their colleagues at work. Um, and sometimes they were reading very important books and other times it was the, crap that fills the spinner stands in, in drugstores. Um, but it, it, that's where also it helps to knit a society together because if many people are reading the same things, not the same thing, but the same things, it provides a way of weaving the, fa the, the, the fabric together. It's this, the newspapers provide the same role as well because they are a wonderful way for people to, you know, read the, the, the same article, they'll get a, they'll have a different take on it. But you know, the next day at the water cooler, they're going to be saying, well, did you read what Andrew Coyne had to say about Justin Trudeau? Right. So you know as well as I do, there's going to be somebody watching us right now saying, well, hang on a second, Stu and Mark, you're in a, on an electronic medium right now. You're reaching across the country, having a, a conversation about something that some people may say is out of date. Uh, do we need to have print books? Why not just go with the online versions? What is it about that print book, the publishing business? What does it bring to not just the local community and the bookstore that's selling it, but to the publishing sector, authors, the whole literary world, why is a book important, even though we're living in a digital age? Well, um, publishers make a lot more money from digital books because there's virtually no middleman, there's no bookstore, um, there's no printing cost. Um, but there's still the enormous costs of preparing a manuscript for publication. We don't merely take the books from the authors typeset them and then put them back out. We edit them, we work with the author, we develop their vision, their voice. Um, so that's what goes into the production of the, the book as a, not necessarily a physical object, but as something that could be a digital uh, product. Uh, in terms of physical books, um, it's been my experience that if I work on something on paper or I read something on paper, I remember it. I remember it better. And that's because our brains are hardwired to remember things physically. And you might have experienced this in university or college where you're, you're, in a, you're listening to something and you think, wait a minute, I've got the right passage. I want to talk about this. And you know, as you open the book and start flipping through, you know, it's about a third of the way through and it's on the upper right page because our memories do that. They remember things physically. When you read online, A, the image is actually blinking at you. It's not permanent, right? So it's not a permanent thing and your brain is absorbing other things besides just the words. And the words are not physically there, right? They're scrolling by. So it doesn't, I don't mean, you know, people are gonna come away from reading um, you know, the Marrow Thieves by Sri Damalayan and say, 
I have no idea what the book's about. They're, they're going to remember the general plot, but it's not going to stick with them in the same way as a print book does. There's something about that tactile experience. And as you were explaining, no, hang on a second. Like, what page is on this? No, it didn't quite. Like, it's almost as though you can see the the pattern of the paragraphs on the page and you go, yeah, there it is right there. I And That's I have it. tried to do that online or with a digital book. Can't do it. I can't, can't I'm scrolling done. through. Where is it? I can't figure out where it is. Yeah. And and it's not, and also it's not the same thing as, you know, when, when we were in university. We got to markup books ideally the ones we owned, to our, to our heart's content, underline things, put stars in, exclamation points, or, you know, even write, I, I, I have a copy of The Educated Imagination by uh, Northrop Fry, and it's full of my, my, my responses to Northrop Fry, handwritten. Right. Yeah, but had read. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in making those handwritten notes on there, it once again it goes another step in reinforcing your your retention and memory of it. That's right. That's right. Okay, so we've set aside the the, the argument that we're luddites, which we're not. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate the fact that books are of value, but now how do we help uh, ensure that, con especially Canadian bookstores? can survive? Because it's not so simple as to just say, go and buy a book. What are the different layers of support that have to come to uh, the whole industry from publishing through to the consumer that's going to make this possible? And what are some of the, the, the barriers or roadblocks that we have to overcome? As a former prime minister once said, uh, we're the um, mouse sleeping next to the elephant. Um, and the problem is, because the American market is so large and the American publishers are producing books for it, their unit costs are incredibly low. Therefore, their list price is awfully low. So American books carry very, very, very low prices. Canadian publishers have to come close. You know, we can't go out and charge what we really should be charging, which is like $30 for a, for a paperback book. That just can't be done. The market won't sustain it. And for the last 20 plus years, American publishers have raised the prices of their books very little. They have not kept pace with inflation. So you take a great bookstore from around the corner that 25 years ago was doing a good business. They could pay their staff well, they could pay themselves well, they could pay their rent. That today, the books they're selling are actually underpriced and haven't kept up with the cost of living, haven't kept up with the cost of the rent increases. So very simply put, um, Eleanor Lefebvre, who runs one of the great children's bookstores here in Toronto, said to me four years ago, I have to sell, she had to sell 30% more books just to stay where she had been in 1999. 30% more books. That's right. Because wow. it's it's not like, you know, you're running a, a, a clothing store. You price the clothing according to what you need to do and what the market will bear. It doesn't happen in Canada. That's, the, that's a really big problem. Mm -hmm. um, Canada, the, the, the federal government has abandoned the idea that Canada is a separate market from the United States when it comes to cultural products. Um, they've just 
thrown up their hands and said, "Well, we're not, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to enforce this. We're not going to protect it." So we are flooded with American books, um, and we're flooded with American media that tells us to buy American books. We're flooded with an education system that today in 2021 is still teaching Lord of the Flies, which it was teaching when I was in grade 10, grade 11, <laughs> uh, grade 11 in 1977. Right. And Lord of the Flies is, as you know, it's about a group of boys from a British private school who end up on a desert island and they go native. Right. Um, that book does not really, I mean, it speaks to human nature. Yes, all good books do. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we still teaching it? Why are we not teaching The Marrow Thieves, for example, which is about a group of Indigenous people fighting to stay alive in an atmosphere where they are being hunted for their bone marrow. Um, wow. It's, it's set here in Ontario. It is written by a Canadian, Cherie Demoline, published by Cormoran Books. I'm shamelessly promoting it. Um, but it has more to offer school t- you know, students in grade 11 in Ontario and across Canada than does Lord of the Flies. And yet, well, and, are we yeah, and, 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 Sorry to jump in here, but especially at a time when we are trying to understand uh, the experience of all Canadians, uh, this is very important to be able to have you know, that rich access to these kinds of stories that are uh, disturbing, uh, but they speak to us. They speak to us, right? And they, so the school system prepares us not to read Canadian authored books, but to read foreign authored books, foreign published books. Um, one of my favorite stories that I used to tell is when I was in grade 10, uh, my grade 10 English teacher, um, a lovely woman named Sharon Priestley, just happens to be Jason Priestley's mother, um, <laughs> she was teaching a short story by a Canadian writer. Now, this is grade 10, it's 1976, and it was set in Vancouver. It was, and at the end of it, she said, oh, and by the way, the, the author actually lives here in Vancouver. And kid put up his hand and said, you're supposed to teach us literature, and this isn't literature. And Mrs. Priestley said, and why is it not literature? And the kid said, the author's not dead. It's set here in Canada. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that yeah. something? What were we effectively teaching? So that sets up one thing. So uh-huh. then the, the bookstores are, 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 you know, the independent bookstores have done a great job of selling Canadian books, Canadian mm-hmm. authored books, Canadian published books. Um, so it used to be a substantial portion of their sales. And yes, our books are actually priced a little bit higher than American books. But our now Canadian publishers' share of the market has shrunk by 50%. And that 50% has been made up by American books, which have lower book prices. So we're back to what yeah. I said before. Um, <laughs> you asked for the measures to, to save the well, bookstores. Uh, yeah. Well, in reading your 
piece that uh, was published in the Vancouver Sun back this past summer. You also talked about a couple of very interesting uh, elements that I had never considered. One, the publisher, uh, there are subsidies there, but oh, you start moving on down the line, there aren't subsidies. There isn't a commitment to uh, give tax breaks or incentives in, in cities and communities to bookstores that, you know, as you pointed out, can't really increase revenue, but they're seeing their rents and, and other costs go up. So what can governments do to help those bookstores to be able to ensure that they can survive and, and provide venues for Canadian authors? Well, actually, it turns out that the federal government did this year come up with a COVID funding program for booksellers, and they are funding them. It's a kind of a rebate. They get back a percentage of the dollar value of Canadian authored and published books that they've sold. And the and the and there was a substantial amount of money put up for that. Um, there's been a, num a substantial amount of money put up for um, promotional programs to encourage people to buy books. Um, at a local level, one of the things that I've always thought was quite simple and, and, and lovely, in Paris, bookstores don't pay re um, uh, residential tax, commercial taxes on their properties. Um. So, and even better, if you own the building that a bookstore is in, your property tax is um, lowered accordingly to how much floor space in the building they take up. And also in Paris, they are the city itself owns spaces, commercial spaces, that it is renting at a very low price to bookstores. You know, there's somebody who's going to say, well, that's a subsidy, and why should we be subsidizing uh, bookstores? Aren't they in the free market? Well, um, I think it's fair to say that the people who talk about the free market the most um, are the ones who benefit the most by Canada subsidizing their activities. I'm thinking the most heavily subsidized industry in Canada, the oil and gas industry, right. <laughs> the most subsidized. Um, and not only do we subsidize them every which way possible, when they are finished with an oil well, they get to walk away and the government has to clean it up. Um, so uh, I don't think there's any such thing truly as a free market. Um, and here's what you're subsidizing when you subsidize a bookstore. Um, a bookstore is a place where they act as, often they act as uh, sort of neighborhood anchors. They're the place everybody knows they can go to, they can get information, they can get help. Um, and they tend to, I, I hate to say this, they tend to gentrify a street a little bit. Um, yes. And they're really important. They just are. And the people who work in bookstores tend to work there a long time, particularly the owners. Well, and for one thing, they're Canadians living in Canada, buying other Canadian products, paying taxes in Canada. They're not some American company where our money is going outside of this country. One of the things that I found very interesting in your article, you said, let's mandate that public libraries, which is our tax dollars, <laughs> When you buy your Canadian book, you have to buy it through a Canadian bookstore. And hopefully that bookstore is local to your community. I thought that was a brilliant right. idea. Uh, I wish it were mine. Um, it's actually been practiced in the province of Quebec for 40 or 50 years now. It's um, a great and, idea. <laughs> and it works. The bookstores in Quebec flourish. 
because it's all highly regulated and the and it's not just libraries it's all public institutions isn't that um, something so it, yeah yeah and then that really helps to foster that community that finds attracts nurtures and produces new literary works that fit into the whole you know suite of what, everything that we've been talking about exactly Exactly. What do you, if we don't do this, what's the future? Well, the good news is, as I said, the federal government did begin this program this year. So yes. kudos to them. Um, if, if these activities are all undertaken properly, um, it won't be that they've stopped the, the decline. They will have reversed the decline. And we will see, you know, hey, buy a Canadian book from a Canadian bookstore or buy a book from Amazon and send a former TV star to space. I mean, it's kind of a nice story, but is that really what we want to be doing? Um, so I, I, what I see happening, if things work properly, if Canadian publishers get stronger, they employ Canadians here at home. It's, 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 it's an employment industry. Um, it's a high-level employment industry. It requires education so that, again, you go upstream and you've got... People going to school, going to college, going to university, learning important things that they can then apply skills and knowledge they can apply to to their work in, in, in publishing. Um, and, you know, how long have we been talking about the knowledge economy? Publishing has been the knowledge economy for a couple of hundred years. Right. Plays an important part. And... I think that what is uh, really important to me, the more that we start to see there has been this idea that large uh, multinational corporations are really just maximizing profit, they're taking money out of our uh, out of our communities and it's not staying here. It's not supporting Canadians, it's not supporting Canadian communities. I think, and, I, and I'm not trying to be naive about this, I think that we really collectively have to make a uh, individual decision that says, I'm willing to pay more to support fellow Canadians because when I do that, they in turn are supporting me. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. it. Because if we don't, we see our communities start to deteriorate and those books play such an important role. Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I think it is very important and I wish you great success with Cormorant Books. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you for having me and for those great words.